Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we'll look at just a moment here. I do want to just make mention, Pastor, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach today. I don't ever take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. I love opening up the Word of God. I don't always do a maybe a wonderful job, but I'm thankful for the Word of God that is true, that we can stand upon it, and uh, it gives us, the, it's, it's Jesus Christ that gives us uh, the boldness of our message, and I'm thankful that it is, again, once again, it's true. It's not a I hope so. It's a no-so, and I'm thankful for the Word of God. And as we look at this in Ephesians 2, I just can't help but really just be so incre- incredibly thankful for where God has brought us from and what God has saved us to. And uh, we'll look at this in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, if, you would be, if you're able to, once again, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. I'll read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. If you could read verse number 4 with me. And then I'll read 5 through 10. So if you could read verse number 4 when we get to it, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past yet walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. First number four, ready, begin. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Verse number five, uh, I'll read the rest here. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In verse number 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you'd um, bless the reading of your word. God, as we look at it this morning, God, I'm reminded and I'm thankful of where you brought me from and what you've saved me to. And God, I pray that maybe someone today that has not made this decision to be in Christ and to ask Jesus Christ to call upon his name and save them from their sins and from their destination of hell and asking them, asking you and you only to save them from that. God, I pray if they've never done that before, that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, we would rejoice with them in that. Lord, I pray you just bless the remainder of the service today. Bless the children downstairs. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may remain standing for the I'm just joking. You may be seated. Oh, man. I told myself I wasn't going to do that. Sorry. Can't help it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Paul is contrasting who we were before we were in Christ and who we are now after we are in Christ. Before I go any further, I do want to just make mention that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 uh, is talking about as a believer where you were and where you are now, where you're going to go. And I'm, I would be naive to assume that everybody in here has made the decision uh, to ask Jesus Christ to save them. So I do want to just say, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and uh, to take you to heaven when you die, I would plead with you, encourage you to get that settled today. And so I just want to make it clear that if you have never done that before, that you are not in Christ. Uh, it's only for those who have asked Jesus Christ to save them uh, who are in Christ. So I want to make that very clear as we go through our text today. Many times I'll say in Christ. Well, I don't know if that's you. That's between you and the Lord. And uh, so let's just I'll make that very clear. We have a problem, our disease, and it's called sin. Sin hurts. Sin always hurts. 
and sin will always hold the hand of another sin. You think about this, when you sin, nine times out of ten times probably, pride has creeped in, and we think, I can handle this, or that's maybe not good for that person, but it's okay for me, and we walk into that sin willingly knowing, and we commit a sin, and then we're holding the hand of another sin. You think about this, if you lie, you got to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And when you tell that lie, you got to tell another lie to cover up that lie. Sin always holds the hand of another sin. Sin will always hurt, and sin will hurt you and those closest around you. Uh, there's a story about a man who parked his RV at a campground near Seattle, Washington. Uh, one night, someone was trying to steal the fuel from his RV, and so they put the siphon hose into the tank, and they began to suck on that siphon hose. And at this point, the RV owner was made aware of the situation because he heard something going on outside. And when he walked outside, he found the man who was trying to steal fuel from him on the ground, vomiting. And uh, it was very clear what had happened. The guy who was stealing the fuel put the siphon hose in the wrong tank. He put it in the sewage tank. And uh, I would think if I had the choice between the two, I'd rather, I guess, drink uh, gas. But uh, he drank that of the sewage tank. Now, that's disgusting. Uh, my stomach hurts just thinking about it. But drinking sewage, if we could picture this, that's exactly what sin is. Sin is literally drinking sewage. It's disgusting. But yet, willingly, sometimes we walk right into that. Ephesians 2, God describes what sin does to us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I believe it's the panorama, if you will, of our salvation. It shows us our past, it shows us our present, and it shows us our future and the steps of normal Christian development. If you will, as we read through it, you could see verses 1 through 3 and then 4 through 10 there, you could see how we literally walk through Death Valley into Graceland. And that's not Elvis Presley's Graceland, okay, but Jesus Christ's Graceland. That's the Graceland that I want to be at. We walk through Death Valley into the valley, uh, into Graceland. And if we could break these 10 verses up into two portions, I'd like to take the first three, and we can look at that and sum that up into uh, verses 1 through 3. And uh, verse 1, it says in Ephesians 2, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So if you are a child of God today, uh, <clears throat> for those that are in Christ, and we'll look at that phrase in just a moment, those first three verses, that is, I think this, this is on your worksheet here, that is, stage one, your past. That is your past. <clears throat> And then the verses 4 through 10, we'll read those in just a moment, but that verses 1 through 3, what we're saved from, verses 4 through 10, what we are saved for. And we're looking at your past, number one under your past, wandering from God, W-A-N-D-R-A-N-G, wandering from God. This is where you were before you met Jesus Christ. Paul is telling you this. Paul is literally saying, you are dead. You were dead before you knew Christ. You were dead. You were dead on arrival because of your sin. You're not just sick. You are dead. Because you are dead, you lack the ability to respond to spiritual things. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be graphic. But if we had a casket here in front of us this morning, and if there was a, uh, a person's uh, shell there, if you will, that was dead, we wouldn't expect for them to hear anything. We wouldn't expect for them to respond to anything. We wouldn't expect for them to get out of that, uh, that casket. They are dead. They cannot do anything. And before you are in Christ, you are dead. You lack that, uh, the ability to respond to spiritual things. You think about what an indictment that we are. Because of our sin, we are spiritually dead. 
Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Because of our sin, we're conformed to this world around us. We're influenced by the devil that we saw there in verse 2, given to self-centeredness and subject to God's holy wrath against sin. Romans 5, 11 and 12 says this, and not only so, but we also joy in God's, uh, or excuse me, not only, uh, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all, for that all have sinned. So we see there sin entered Death entered, death spread, sin spread, and really this does not mean that we are just as bad as we possibly could be. This means that you are as bad off as you could possibly be, and this is not how we see ourselves. This is how God sees us. You, your past as a child of God, you are dead. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you right now, you are spiritually dead. You're dead. And there's this uh, this fable of the, t- the turtle and the scorpion. I'll paraphrase it, but there was a this scorpion that wanted to get across the other side of this river, and he went to the turtle because scorpions are not known uh, to swim. Turtles uh, do swim most of the time, and so the scorpion goes up to the turtle and asks, could I get on your back, and can you swim across this river and take me to the other side? Turtle uh, responded back to the scorpion and said, now hang on a second. If you were to sting me while I was swimming the other side of that river, you would kill me, and we'd begin to I would begin to sink and I would drown. And the scorpion said, well, where's the logic in that? If I was to sting you and you, and you start to sink, then I would, I would drown too. Charles says, that makes sense. Look, hop on my back. Let's go to the other side. And so as they were going across the river, the scorpion, halfway across that river, wound up and he stung that turtle with everything that he got. So as they were sinking and the, and the t- turtle there was beginning to sink and to die, he looked at the scorpion and he said, can I ask you a question? You told me it was not logical for you to sting me, yet you have. The scorpion says it has nothing to do with logic. It's just in my nature. So let me ask you this question. Why do we sin? It's because it's our nature. That is why we need redemption. What the first Adam did, what he messed up, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, had to come and fix and to redeem us. Uh, If a dog barks, we don't say it's a dog because it barked. Okay, I can bark. I'm not going to do it for you this morning, but I can bark. And I know my name, Caleb, means dog, but I'm not a dog just because I can bark. But when a, uh, we say it's because, it barked because it's a dog, okay? When someone sins, we don't say that person is a sinner. They sin because they are a sinner. It is their nature. That is your nature, and that is my nature. We are a sinner because we sin. That is our nature. We sin because we're a sinner. Uh, this really is the dark part of the painting, if you will. This is you and me before Christ trying to just show you that this is our past. If you are in Christ, think about it this morning. You were spiritually dead. You had no hope. Couldn't do it on your own. I think about the song, uh, Come Now Found. There's a, there's a phrase in there. Every time we sing that song, I think, Lord, that's me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's our human nature. We have that draw. We have that pull wandering from God, that's stage one, wandering from God, that is our past. Let's look at stage two. Not only your stage one, your past, stage two, your present, your present. Verse four, uh, let's back up to verse one again. And you, Athie, quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein times past, he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and wherein by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That is your past. Look at number four, verse four, next two words, same with me. But God. Amen. That's, that's, I believe, the most two powerful words there in the Bible is that you could really sum up the whole gospel right there. But God. We are helpless. You are helpless. I am helpless. But God. We were sinking. I was sinking. You were sinking. But God. You look at verse number four. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. I don't know why he loves me, but he loved me. And praise God, he loves you. He loves me. And I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, you know the story of Joseph, how he was thrown in the pit by his brothers. Uh, they, they, they sold him off into slavery. Uh, Joseph is just following the Lord in obedience and just going with where the Lord has for him to be. I don't think Joseph probably would stand up and say, I was thankful for everything that I went through, but I'm thankful. They probably would say, I'm thankful how God used it. And in Genesis 50, verse number 20, he's got his brothers standing in front of him. And Joseph is now literally in an earthly speaking uh, way of form this morning as he is sitting in an earthly uh, power, if you will. He says this in verse 50, verse 20, as the brothers thought that they were, he was going to get vengeance on them. And this is what Joseph says. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is today to save much people alive. I, I want you to get this this morning about this, uh, but God notion, if you will. God loves you. He's not out to just get you. He's not out to get you. He loves you. He's out to save you. As a dad, I'm not sitting around looking and say, I can't wait for my kids to mess up so I could just pound them and get them into trouble. No, I'm looking. I love them. And when they do things that are wrong, I correct them in love. That's not good for you. I love you. I don't want you to do this. That's not good for you. God loves you. If you're a saved person this morning, you've had a but God moment. I've met many people that have said, I've always known the Lord. I've never known a time without the Lord. I was born in, a, in a, a, a Christian home, if you will. My grandma took us to church. Uh, let me just say to you this morning, there absolutely needs to be a time in your life that you personally say, I really need Jesus. There's got to be a time that you say, I need Jesus. I'm hopeless, but God. I, 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 there's a, there's a, it's got to be personal, a personal decision. I'm going to make a decision as Christ has awoken me to my need. And this is number two for your present, waking to God. Before you are made alive in Christ, you were sleeping the sleep of death until God woke you up. Why? Because God is rich in mercy. For me, I had a but God moment on April 1st, 1998. You've heard me tell this testimony before. Months leading up to this date, uh, I, I, I was going to Sunday school, going to church, and I was, uh, I remember even for, uh, for Halloween, my, my family and I would pass out gospel tracts at the door with the candy uh, as the kids would come by. Uh, that's free soul winning right there, if you will. And so they'd come by, we'd have a piece of candy uh, taped to the track and we'd give it to them. And I remember as a kid, I could not read. I still can't read today, but, uh, but I remember I was reading through that and I was looking at the pictures. And uh, just the other day, Ryder opened up one of my books I was reading. He says, there's no pictures in here. And I said, no, I know it's no fun, isn't it? But uh, I was looking at those pictures and I could see, I said, man, this, this boy's lost and he's, he's, he's on his way to hell. And, and I remember as a young boy, I did not understand why I had to go to hell. I said, well, I know Jesus loves me. We sing about it in church, but what did, what did I do? I'm only five years old. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I have, I have two wicked sisters, but God, God knows. God understands. Uh, but uh, all that to say that I remember that uh, once leading down the road, I've told this story to you before. I was at a wedding, at a wedding reception. There was a cake there. 
and it was a fool for them to put it so low that I could reach. But anyways, I touched and I, and I gouged that wedding cake and I licked my finger. And my dad saw it and he said, Caleb, did you touch that cake? Now I remember, nobody had to teach me how to do this, but I remember just it entered in my mind, lie, tell a lie. So I said, no, I did not touch that cake. And uh, my dad believed me, what a fool. No, uh, but I, and I, said, <clears throat> and I remember that was the first time in my life that I said, that was wrong. Now I had sinned before that, but I, became, I realized I have done something wrong. Not only did I sin, I trespassed. And uh, I, I knew where the line was, don't cross this line, and I willingly crossed that line. And I willingly lied to my dad. Weeks later, I remember just kind of being under conviction. The Lord was working in my heart, even as a five-year-old boy, and I'm so thankful the gospel is for everyone. And I realized I've lied. I gotta go say sorry to my dad. So I went to him, and I did not put on the waterworks like my sisters always did. I literally was crying, and I told my dad, I'm sorry, but I lied to you about that cake. I really did do that. Fast forward several, several weeks, months later, in the spring of 1998, April 1st, we were on our way to church. And I remember just this ultimate, really just this, this, uh, this sense that I realized I'm a sinner, I'm on my way to hell, and there's nothing I can do to get to heaven on my own. And I was, we were driving to church on a Wednesday night, going to go to Patch the Pirate Club. I said to my dad, can you please tell me how to be saved? I do not want to go to hell. And he, and he says, Caleb, when we get home tonight after church, I will share, I will tell you about that. I don't know if I thought the Lord was coming back right then. I don't know if I didn't trust my dad's driving, but I said, Dad, no, you're going to tell me right now. I want to know how to be saved. So as we were driving to church, my dad quoted to me as we would label today the Romans road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I realized, yeah, I, I've come short. I, I'm a sinner. Uh, there's, I, I have trespassed against a holy God. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I understood there needed to be a penalty for my sin, and that was death, talking about a spiritual death, going to a physical place called hell. And, uh, but the gift, the second part of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I was five years old. I was not a fool. I loved two days and all the year. It was Christmas and my birthday because I got gifts, and I never once, as I saw a gift that had my name on it, said, no, I don't want that. No, I, I wanted it. And when I heard that someone died for me, that I can go to heaven, I said, I'd be a fool to reject that gift. So on April 1st, 1998, I accepted that gift of salvation because I knew there was no way I could get to heaven on my own. I once was lost, but now I'm, I was blind, but now I, you know, before you get saved, you got to realize you are lost. You are dead and you could do nothing, nothing to get to heaven on your own. It's all because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you this question. Why did God do it? Why, why did he save me? Why bother with interrupting the normal course of a person's life to do this? Well, let's look at verse 4 again. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now let's take a pause here in the message. Let's pull away from the, the trees, if you will, and look at the entire forest here. These three words are on your worksheet. Justice, mercy, and grace. Let's look at these three words. Justice is you get what you deserve. Justice is you get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. And grace is you get something you don't deserve. So justice, you get what you deserve. Mercy, you don't get what you deserve. Grace is you get something you don't deserve. Let me illustrate it this way. You're driving down the road and you're, you're in traffic. And uh, I always just think of East Main Street. It was horrible before construction, but it's even more horrible with construction. How many of you have, have tried as much as you can to avoid the construction there on East Main Street? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of people upset about it, actually. Did you see the signs out there? It says, end 
road work. Uh, they want it to all go away. Thank you, a couple of you got that. 815, they didn't get that one, but uh, I would sign that petition uh, if there was one out there. But anyways, uh, you're in traffic. Justice is what you want for everybody else that's on that, on that road. You want to be able to speed. You want to run that, I call them pink lights. Uh, they're not red yet, but uh, it's close. But you want to run that light. Uh, but when someone cuts you off or they pass you in a non-passing zone, you ask the question, where in the world is a police officer, what, when you need one? Because you want that guy to get caught. I remember one time we were on vacation and I was driving down the road and this motorcycle just flew past me. He had at least been going 700 miles an hour. I mean, it seemed like it was crazy. We went super fast and I was actually like, man, I wish I would have saw him. I might have opened my door, collected insurance. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but I remember after that, there was police officers that raced after him. And I remember thinking, that's the first time I've ever seen that. Justice is being served. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, officer. That's justice, okay? But, okay, an officer catches you breaking the law and pulls you over and tells you that you were speeding 15 over the speed limit and gives you a ticket. That's justice, okay? Let's look at mercy. An officer catches you breaking the law, pulls you over, tells you that you were going 15 over the speed limit and tells you you deserve a ticket, but I'm going to give you a... How many of you have ever gotten a warning? Okay, put your hands down. This isn't confession time. We don't do that here. But how many of you have gotten a ticket, a speeding ticket? How many of you got a speeding ticket without ever getting a warning? Keep your hand up. I've never gotten a warning, but I've gotten three speeding tickets. Jennifer, how many, how many warnings have you got? She's lost count. She doesn't even know. But she's, she's never gotten a ticket, but she gets warnings. And I don't know what it is, but that is, that is mercy. My wife finds mercy. And she probably lies her way out of it is what she's doing. Maybe it's the kids that are screaming in the back. I don't know, but... He's not giving you something, that police officer is not giving you something to deserve, which is a ticket that illustrates mercy, okay? Thank you, officer. Thank you, Lord, for the warning. Lord, that would be great if I could get one of those sometime. But anyways, this is what grace would be. I've never seen this. If you know someone who does that, please send them that way. But uh, so an officer catches you going 15 over the speed limit, tells you you deserve a ticket, writes you a ticket, gives you the ticket, takes the ticket back, it pays it for you. That is grace. You just got something you didn't deserve. Justice gives us the punishment we deserve. Mercy withholds the punishment we deserve. Grace goes far beyond that. So let me, this poses a question, okay? How can God be both just and merciful? And you would be right to ask this question, okay? So if God is just, he has to punish sin. But if God is merciful and doesn't punish sin, that would negate his justice. And you would be correct to say that. That would negate his justice. And know this, whenever God does extend mercy, he always, always punishes sin. And this is where the cross comes in. Jesus Christ went to that cross. I did not deserve it. And he went and he died on a cross for me. He died on a cross for you because justice had to be served. And Jesus Christ paid that for you. God poured all of the punishment on his son that you and I deserve. God punished sin at the cross so he could extend mercy and grace. At the cross, justice was served, punishment was paid out, mercy was extended. We don't get the punishment we deserve because who got it? Jesus Christ got that. At the cross, grace was poured out. We get, we get abundant life. We get eternal life and the joys of heaven forever and ever and praise Jesus Christ for that. When you hear the word mercy in this biblical perspective, it's never grounded in sentiment. It's always grounded and sacrifice, and that sacrifice was through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you another question. When did God start loving you? 
When did God start loving you? Did he love you when you were no longer unlovable? Oh, he loved you when you were unlovable. Did he love you when you decided to give your life to Christ? No, he loved you when you had no capability of loving anything. He loved you when you were dead. Another but God verse here, Romans 5 eight. but God commendeth, he showed, he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were dead and had no hope, Christ died for us. He loved you when you hated him. He loved you when you ran from him. He loved you when you were dead. So we go from wandering from God, waking in God. Here's the third stage. We had past, present, and now we're looking at the future, your future. Look at verse number six again. It hath uh, raised us up together and made us to sit. Uh, let's go back to verse five. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places. What's those next three words? In Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, Paul uses this uh, about 85 times in his writing, this phrase, if you will, in Christ or in Christ Jesus. We find it about 10 times here in this epistle. And uh, it, that, that, uh, that phrase there also, in heavenly places. Uh, it's not, I, I was asking pastor about this to make sure I was clear on this. Uh, and I had asked him now, that is positionally, we're not physically there yet. Uh, but pastor used this phrase, and I'm going to steal it. If you were in Christ, you're good at, you, you are, uh, oh man, I'm going to mess up his phrase. Your you're good is there. I think that's what he said. Your good is there. So positionally, we are in heavenly places. Maybe we're not physically there right now because we're still on this earth. But you, as if you are in Christ, you are positionally in heavenly places. And look at this, the future here in verse, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through uh, Christ Jesus, because of Jesus Christ there. So well, really, really quickly here, let's look at um, chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 here. Look over here in verse number 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Here's this phrase again, in heavenly places, what's the next two words? In Christ. Look at verse number 20 here in chapter 1, which he wrought, what's those two words? In Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, Here's this phrase again, in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which is to come. Simply put, Jesus Christ is now above all spiritual principalities. He's above dominions, above demonic forces, if you will, above everything. And that is where he is in heavenly places. And if you are in Christ, that means you are in that position too. This doesn't mean that we don't get tempted. Uh, it means because we are in Christ, we have, listen to this, if we so chose to, we have victory over sin because we are in Christ. Victory all, uh, over all of those things. We're not immune to it. It means that power is available. And this, this means the power that the devil once had over our lives does not have to control our lives anymore because we are in Christ in heavenly places. Now, what do you see here? We see it, uh, we, we, we are in the future. We talked about our past, okay? Dead, dark, our present, raised up in heavenly places. Now we're looking at our future that in the ages to come. Okay, you say, I, I, I know, I know we're all, if you're in Christ, we're going to heaven. Uh, I just want to say this morning that uh, I, I, I really believe I'm, I'm looking so forward to heaven, but heaven is more than just a destination, okay? It's going to be, I believe, an unveiling and unfolding experience every single moment for all of eternity. Look at verse number seven here. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding, Riches of his what? His grace 
in his what? Kindness. Toward who? Us. Why? Through Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm so looking forward to uh, what God has for us. I believe this is what Paul is saying here in verse 7. It's going to take God all of eternity to demonstrate the fullness of his love for you. All of eternity, God is going to just pour out his blessing, his, his grace, and his, his riches. Why? Not because of anything we've done, but because of all of what Jesus Christ has done. And let me just pause and go back here a moment. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to come to your heart and save you, why wouldn't you want this in your future? If you are not in Christ, there's a place for you. And I'm not telling you what I, what I believe, I'm tell, when I, and I do believe it because it's what the Bible tells us. I did not come up with this. Man did not come up with this. This is what the Bible says. It says that if you are not in Christ, there's a destination for you, and it is hell. It's not a curse word. It is a physical place for all of eternity. I can't even wrap my brain around uh, being somewhere forever and ever and ever and ever. And because of our sin, that has to be paid for. And if you don't accept Okay? If you don't accept Jesus Christ's uh, payment for you, you have to pay it yourself. And that's you going to hell and paying for your sin because you did not accept the gift of salvation. And I don't say that to be mean. I say that this morning to say, please, I pleaded with you. If you've never done that before, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Ask him to come in your heart and save you from sin and save you from hell. It is only him that he could get you to heaven. We can't do good works. If it was good works, if it was going to church, if it was being, being a good neighbor, being a good employee, those are all great things to do. But if that's what it took to get to heaven, Jesus Christ would have never had to come and pay for it yourself if we could pay for it ourselves. And I'm thankful that we can't do anything to earn it. Because if we can't do anything to earn it, praise God, we can't do anything to lose it because it's all because of Jesus Christ in Christ. May I say to you this morning, I'm so looking forward to the Lord's return, but may I say this to you, our, my hope is not just in the coming of the Lord, my hope is in the Lord who is coming. I'm so thankful that he saved me. So we go from wandering from God, waking in God, watching for God. Here's number four, uh, the second one there under, under your future, working with God. God. Look at verse number eight in chapter two here. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his, what? Workmanship. Created what? In Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in him. While you are watching for the Lord's return, there is still work to be done, Christian. And that's not for the unbeliever, that is for the believer. We are not just saved to sit, we are saved to serve. If we were to take verse 10 and dissect it into two parts, uh, God's, uh, we are his workmanship. First part, that's God's work in you. The second part, God's work through you, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. The first part, we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his work of art. Maybe you're there this morning, what I've been many times in my life, I don't feel like a masterpiece. I don't feel like a work of art. Can I just say to you this morning, if we could hang a sign around our neck, still under construction. God is still working in you so he can work through you. It may take you a while to live up to that title of masterpiece, but God has an end in mind and God is committed to working in you until the end. How do we know this? Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Michelangelo was once asked one day when he was uh, chipping away at a, sh uh, a shapeless stone here, his, and his reply to them was, I am liberating an angel. What a classic response that he has. Can I say to you this morning that God is the master sculptor 
and he is in the business of sculpting masterpieces from shapeless stones. And he has never, praise the Lord, he's never thrown a single stone away because you are his workmanship. That work in you is for a reason, so that he might work through you. Can I just say, uh, if you have never gotten to, if you've not gotten to this point in your life, you'll never be fulfilled. A Christian's not, again, not just to be saved and just sit there and just wait for the Lord's return. You are saved to serve. We are to be busy about the Great Commission. That is the mission of a believer. That is the mission of a Christian is the Great Commission, telling the good news. We are saved to serve. God wants to do a work through you. Uh, it's wonderful to be saved from sin. It's wonderful to be saved from death. It's wonderful to be saved from hell. I'm thankful, Lord, that I could say that I'm saved from all of those things. But how wonderful it is to be an instrument that God uses to reach this world. That is truly amazing. Uh, maybe you're here, Christian, this morning, and you're thinking, uh, I, 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 one day, one of these days, I'm going to serve God. When I can get my life in a little bit better order, um, I'll get more involved. Uh, maybe when I'm just a little more usable, when I feel a little bit more valuable and less rough around the edges, kind of just saying you are valuable in God's eyes. You don't have to wait. You're saying I've blown it and I feel so foolish. Well, I have good news for you. The word of God says, but God have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. How uh, you say, I feel weak. I can't do this. I have good news for you. The second part of that verse, and God have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. If you look in God's toolbox, of all the people that God has used in all history past and who is God using today, you will find that all of them are feeble and they are flawed because that's all God has to work with. And when God uses the feeble and the flaw, God gets all of the glory. Think of it this way. If a surgeon can operate in the jungle with just a pocket knife and he was successful, you would say, what a great surgeon. If a builder could erect a home with simply just using an old hammer and a bent handsaw, you would say, well, that is a spectacular builder. If a person could play Beethoven's symphony on a flute made from a piece of bamboo, you would say, that is an accomplished musician. Can I say to you this morning, if God could change the world through dead people, through sinful people, made alive, saved people, that is a, that is a great God who is rich in mercy, who loves you and wants to do a work with you, what an almighty God that we serve. Saved for good works, not by good works. And can I just pause and say this moment here, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come to your heart, you say, I don't believe God could ever say someone like me. Can I say this very kindly to you? How dare you underestimate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? He's came to save you. There can't, there's nothing that you've ever done that God can't forgive. Uh, it doesn't matter how you've been brought up. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. doesn't matter what kind of uh, demographic background you had. God wants to save you. The Bible says God says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died for us. He saved you from sin. He saved you, believer, for service. Paul asked these two questions in Acts chapter 9 while he was on the road to Damascus. He asked this question, who are you, Lord? And if you're a believer in here this morning, you've already answered that question. You've realized that he's Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. But there's another question that he asked, and he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Can I just say to you this morning, God wants to make you a, a masterpiece, but you only get one canvas, and that is your life. Lord, what do you want me to do? God wants to use you. He saved you so he can work through you. And the but God moment that you've had for salvation of your soul, I pray that you have many, many more but God moments in the area of service. I close with this. Paul emphasizes again that all the work, all the saving is God's. 
how God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead because of his mercy and because of his grace. He expounds upon God's action when he says this, verses 8 through 10 again, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Back to this word grace that we looked at earlier. Maybe many of you have heard uh, a definition of grace using the word acro- the, the acrostic letters there, G-R-A-C-E. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, the Greek word for this grace that's found here in verse 8 is the word charis. Uh, charis was associated with what that was good and what was beautiful in the word. It was used for gifts that were f- freely given out of love and out, in a spirit of giving, not of a, a, a giving out of debt or obligation. You gave it because you willingly wanted to give it. Simply put, charis or grace described an attitude of favor and goodwill that expresses itself in action and finds its motivation, listen to this, in the giver, not the receiver. Salvation is the free gift of God given out of motive that comes from him, not from us. Uh, we see that salvation is God's gracious gift. We found, find it in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We stand in God's favor, favor, excuse me, we stand in God's acceptance because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We serve him out of love. We serve him out of gratitude. We don't serve it, serve him to earn anything. Uh, in ancient great, Greek, charis was one of the uh, great words, but it always assumed that charis, grace, was something for your friends, never for an enemy. This is taken out of a commentary on this word here. It's listen uh, as I read. It signified in classical authors a favor done out of the spontaneous generosity of the heart without any except expectation or return. Of course, this favor was always done to one's friend, never to an enemy. But when charis, grace, comes into the New Testament, Jesus Christ, it takes an infinite leap forward for the favor of God did at Calvary was for those who hated him. He extended grace, not just for friends, but for those that were his enemy. Uh, And they weren't even, we were his enemy. God has many gifts for you, beginning at this gift of salvation. All of gifts have one thing in common. They are things that we do not deserve. Why? Because of our path. We were dead. We had no hope. But God, who is rich in mercy, he has awakened us. He is quick and he's made us alive. And now we are watching and we are working with God. Uh, James 4 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I feel like God is resisting me. Well, then we need to put away, put away our pride and humbly receive. Uh, then you will receive all that grace that is freely given in love and in favor. God's grace is more than you can ever want. God's grace can never run out. Praise the Lord that he is. Uh, he will never run out of God's grace. I close with this. We looked at our past. We were dead. We looked at our present as a believer. You are awakened. Now we've looked at our future. We are watching for God and we are working with God. Can I say this? You cannot have a future with Christ if you are not in Christ. You cannot have a future with Christ if you don't let God take care of your past. Maybe somebody here this morning says, I've never made the decision. I know it but I've never made it personal and said, God, I really need your son, Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to pay for my sin's penalty and go to a, a burning hell and live there forever and ever uh, for all of eternity. I want to accept Jesus Christ's gift of salvation. You've never done that before. Can I just say, we'll quote the verses again to you, Romans 6, 23, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but it doesn't end there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 5, 8, but God commended, he demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we were dead and we had no hope, but God uh, commanded his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never done that before. I plead with you, encourage you to make that decision today. For those that are believers here this morning, I hope that we're not just sitting around waiting for the Lord. I hope that we're busy while we're waiting for the Lord. I hope we're busy in the work of Christ because we have been made alive in Christ. He has awakened us and he is working through us because we are in Christ. So what an incredible opportunity and privilege it is to be used of Christ and because he gets all of the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you're rich in mercy. Lord, I thank you for the mercy that you've shown in my life. Lord, I pray for the one today that maybe doesn't know that heaven, heaven is their home. God, I pray they get that taken care of today. Maybe they've been fighting it off for a while. Maybe they don't see their need of salvation. Maybe they don't see that they're lost. Lord, I pray that you'd open their eyes and waken them up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the believers here this morning that we wouldn't just be uh, Lord, lazy, if you will, but we would be busy about your work uh, that you have called us to do. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the remainder of the service. I ask these things for your name. Amen.